to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Better Golf. I'm your host, Spencer Aguiar, and as always, I'm joined by my man, Nick Brettwish, to break down this week's Travelers Championship. Nick and I will be taking you through the board from top to bottom, providing not only our favorite plays, but also different concepts and strategies for you to consider in various markets. If you aren't doing so already, you can follow Nick on Twitter at S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. You can find me on Twitter at TF Sports. But let's talk some about of, of our U.S. Open results this week before we move into TPC River Highlands. I'll let you go first, man. I know it was a shaky tournament for the most part, but do you have any positives from the week on your end when it comes to betting or DFS? I'm going to mute. Um, but no, but seriously, the only ticket I hit was where you at? Cameron Tregali top 40 at two to one on points bet. So that helped a little bit. It was minus 4.46 units for me. In DFS, I took a ass beating but i'm not mad about the ass beating because i went i think i had 70 percent sun jm i was even on the podcast last week i was like all right i'm either full fade or i'm going extremely overweight after i think i rebuilt my 150 like four times sunjay was out or sunjay was in then he was out then he was in and then it was like 40 percent sunjay was like you know what i really don't have a whole lot of leverage if he ends up at around 30 and I, he just checked every box for me but you said it best, I think, whether it was on the podcast or in our text, when conditions are tough, it's probably best to just get out of there. Because I faded Rory, and that didn't kill me at all, because I was quite heavy on Scotty Scheffler, which was great, because he was like 8% owned. That was pretty wild, and we talked about that probably being an excellent leverage spot. I was very high on Cantley, Didn't do a whole lot, but Hideki Matsuyama, I like. I don't know if I should have cashed a lineup. What Matsuyama did on Sunday got me you know, at least back to not having to call Sia and be his paralegal for some part-time work to <laughs> make my money back. But um, so Hideki was great. I really, if he would have won the tournament, it would have been a huge week for me simply because my exposure to him in the outright market and then live head-to-heads, I did cash. I forgot who his magic was on Sunday. I didn't write it in my sheet here, but he was just great on Sunday. But other than that, it was an absolute debacle for me. I'm glad I didn't bet a whole lot. I think I only had a total at risk. I will tell you right now what it was 5.51 units and 0.4 of that being Chan Kim exposure. So I could always make peace with losing on Chan Kim because that's all I've ever done for a year since he won me money at the PGA. But no, I, mean, I know your card was positive. So let's get into that. I want to talk about you for one more second before I get into my week. And Ugh. I mentioned this. No, this is, I think it's really good, noteworthy <laughs> thing to bring out or bring up on this show. So I mentioned this on Sirius Radio with Jason Mizrahi and Sia Najad on Saturday night, which, by the way, if you tuned into that show, I gave Jason a lineup that came 15th out of 21,000 entrants live on air. Let's but go. Let's but during, go. The, during that whole discussion, we were talking about you specifically, Nick, and how you do a better job than just about anyone I know in making sure your builds either come in first or last. And by the way, that doesn't mean Nick is going into the week with the mindset that the lineup is ever going to finish in last, but it more so suggests that he's aware that the aggressive route that he is taking would put him in a more precarious position than someone that builds with a chalk lineup. It's critical to remember that you quickly become the rake in these top-heavy contests if you don't find a way to separate your lineups from the masses. And we see that very quickly when looking at cash rates versus high-end results. You know, Nick, it's no different than when I used to play poker. There was a time when I was 14, which is not the legal age of when you can be playing online, but I was obsessed over the fact that I was cashing in over 50% of events. But you start to realize that those high percentages quite often will result in lower ROI since the min caches will only take you so far. The players that are strategically putting themselves in scenarios where they are taking a more aggressive approach won't need to hit us frequently to profit over time. You know, as a profitable gambler, you want to be talking about ROI. Let's figure out ways to find leverage in different markets. But if you're going into weeks with the idea that you are playing it safe for any reason other than you don't like the board and are keeping your exposure down, in my opinion, you are asking for problems long-term. It's the same concept for those that count the number of outrights that they hit in a year. Every tournament is different when it comes to exposure. But if you're always risking the same amount, you're going down the wrong path. Nick and I are never going to hit 20 outrights in a year by betting the whole board. We are looking for head-to-heads and other long-term growth markets to build on. But 
do you want to any, add anything to that, Nick, before I talk about my week? I know that was a very long-winded answer to the whole situation, but we're trying to help people get more profitable rather than these, I don't want to say wrong thought processes with it, but I do think people that build too conservatively are taking the wrong route in DFS. No, a hundred percent. I think you, and how you tie DFS into gambling there in the same way. Like I, I don't think I just looked while you were talking at my last seven cards. I have never had more than 1.24 units in the outright market at risk. So that that's like, I just never found it sustainable. Great. We had Billy Horschel that helped a ton and that kind of will keep me afloat for probably the next couple months in betting on golf, assuming we have a, a couple break even weeks, a couple bad weeks like the U S open and things like that. But yeah, I mean, on the DFS side, I was what's great is I was looking for a couple, you know, because it's a huge field. There were massive tournaments last week and I joined the Millie Maker, which I know is a gimmicky tournament and everything. But that's kind of, you know, what I play for in golf football. I get a little more, you know, cash game centric and stuff like that. But with the volatility in golf, I really took a stance on Sanjay M and Daniel Berger. I know I talked a ton about Daniel Berger. If either of those guys make the cut, if both of them make the cut, it is probably a massive, massive week for me simply because of who I did fade. You know, other than that, other than Sanjay, I had a ton of chalk faded that didn't really do a whole lot and who I went extremely heavy on in the zero to 1% ownership projections. And the two guys were Denny McCarthy and Cameron Tringali, and both those guys balled out for me. I think I was 15 to 20% exposure to both of them. So like it was significantly more in the field. So I had such a leg up on most of the, I know the guy that had the Millie maker had Denny McCarthy in there. And I, I don't think he had Trincala, but he, he was extreme. I think he had like 70% exposure to Denny McCarthy, which is absolutely insane to me. I, I know the form was good. He checked a lot of boxes for the course fit, but to go that high on a guy in the six K range is more ballsy than I'll ever be. So tip of the cap to, I think it was the bachelorette dude or what? I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that stuff, but you know, it was insanely ballsy build that he had. He went super high on three guys and Denny McCarthy was one of them. The other two were studs. So I, I get, that but yeah it just sucks that i kind of dug my own grave though when i decided i was going to go extremely heavy on sunjay i found it hard to believe that he'd miss a cut i think he'd missed by one and daniel berger missed by one two or if the cut was cut plus three or plus four i don't even want to remember it i was in lake tahoe for a wedding so as soon as i saw him miss a cut i just i you know i found the bottle and started enjoying myself at the at the casinos there but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't want to give a long-winded answer, but I was so, like, my ROI there was not good. I think I lost in the Millie Maker. I lost probably close to two grand because, again, what Hideki did on Sunday got me a significant amount of money back that I probably did not deserve. But I was so damn close, and that's why I, I think it kind of goes to your point. I understand that it's either going to go great or it's going to go bad, and I've made peace with that, whether or not you guys are, are that type of player. But I think if you really take a stance, you find some educated ways to get extremely overweight on some people, um, fading others and stuff like that. It, it'll You'll find out that one good week is going to carry you for honestly more than, you know, some of the, the golf hits I had in the COVID year have carried me, you know, over a year and stuff like that. And then football, that's a whole different piece we don't need to talk about. But yeah, um, extremely long-winded answer, but I think it, you made a great point, especially when you connected it to betting on outrights, because I think people that put five lineups in the Millie Maker are probably guys that bet 10 outrights, and that's their golf card the whole week and wonder why you know they yeah. don't have any ROI for six to eight to 12 weeks sometimes. Yeah, that's what it comes down to with it. And uh, just to very quickly talk on the guy who won the Millionaire Maker, when you're building 150 lineups. Maybe and- 300, we don't know. Well, when that guy's building a thousand probably with everything he has going on, then, you know, it's hard to beat people like that sometimes. But uh, let me run through my betting card at the U.S. Open before we we do officially move on from here. I ended up plus 1.75 units for the event, thanks in part to the 3.33 that I won on Aaron Wise. 2.33 of that came from Wise over Cameron Young and Davis Riley in head-to-heads. The final unit was from the top 40 that I had on him. I was three and one on in tournament head to heads. That is now 45, 26 and nine on the year for plus 16.37 units. I mentioned Hideki over Horschel on this show for round one and also bet that again at the same price on Friday. But I really like where my model is at at this point of the year. 
I've had less outright success than usual, but you know, as Nick and I were just talking about, that's not something that we necessarily are trying to, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, we're building markets in other ways to find success with it. The head to heads now are over 60% on the season through every single play that I've made over three, 130 plays. The placement market has been a slower burn, but plus 6.7 units there. You know, we're not touting plays on this show and we're trying to get people to find more sustained success on their own, but it's always nice to see everything working the way that it should be when it does. Yeah, agreed. I think the only time I actually told people to bet money was Daniel Berger last week. I think I said, put your house on it. So, or whatever the phrase was. So that's my bad. Um, don't send me an invoice because all my money went to the rake last week with <laughs> going overweight on Sunjay and Mr. Daniel Berger. Um, and then just real quick, the debacle of Brian Harmon on yeah. Sunday. He What was he going? We were just talking about it on the Action Network show. Maybe eighth or ninth play. He was top 10 going into Sunday and shoots like an 80 on Sunday. And <laughs> ties for 43rd, misses a top 40 yet again. And dude, I had, I think I closed of 30 points of closing value on both him and Daniel Berger. So again, you know, we, we could talk about CLV all you want, but I think what I'm trying to say is golf is an extremely volatile sport. Again, I will, you know, beat this dead horse. So, you know, watch what you do on a weekly basis and football, you know, player props, stuff like that, especially on unders when I get closing value because the injury is on my side. When I take player unders, I always like to have a little bit more edge. But in football, I've just had so much more success with, uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 cents of closing line value in golf. I get so happy when I get it. It just seems to not be working out besides the Scotty Scheffler waste management week. But yeah, again, just be conservative, know your spots and find different markets and find your niche market. For me, it does seem to be the placement market. I have not have those. I do not have those uh, totals in front of me right now, but I will get that ready for next show. But that's probably my best market. The head to heads. I just tell you because you're great at it. So why should I study something when you already nailed it? So I don't know, just my class advice, I guess for, for today, but let's get into it. All right, perfect. TPC River Highlands, 6,841 yards, par 70, a mixture of bent grass and poa greens. Last five winners of this tournament have been Harris English in 2021 at 13 under, Dustin Johnson at 19 under in 2020, Ches Reavy 17 under in 2019. Bubba Watson captured this title at 17 under, and then Jordan Spieth at 12 under. That leaderboard highlights a lot of the uncertainty about the event as we see some shorter hit hitters in Reavy and English and a few bombers in DJ and Bubba. And then, of course, the magical short game prowess and solid mid-iron play that often overrides the inaccuracy for Spieth. I don't love tournaments that provide this mixed bag of results since the statistical metrics almost become diluted in these scenarios. But I will start with you, Nick, and hope that you have a better answer than I will provide. Did you notice anything about the property that you could use? Uh, I mean, they're, they're short hitters who are accurate that seem to have success here. There's long hitters who just hit, you know, really good short to mid irons that are accurate. There's people that kind of scratch and claw their way and scramble around the course that are elite putters that have found success here. So pretty much any type of golfer can win. So I think that'll be kind of fun. I think it looks like Brendan Steele is going to be the upper mid tier chalk this week and books seem to love him. So yeah. that is in my model this too. And that's disgust me. I just feel like there's no sex appeal in a guy like Brendan Steele. He does have two straight top tens. I not sure if he's kind of spot picking his events to maybe playing stuff that, you know, you know, that he thinks he has a really good chance to do well, in, but he was really good in the PGA championship and that was really uh, a longer course and tough weather. So I don't know, maybe he's just in great form. I don't know if I'm afraid Brendan Steele yet. I want to just because of his name, but overall, when I ran the numbers, so many different type of golfers popped for me. So what I decided after sleeping on it last night, I'm just playing um, guys I obviously have a price discrepancy with, number one. But number two, people that are very good tee to green and when in doubt can putt on Bankrass and Poa. So that leaves me to believe we just need golfers that will have two good rounds to make the cut, two overall good golfers or two overall good golf rounds to make the cut. And that's kind of it. I think it's a mixed bag. Multiple different people could do very well in this venue. Webb Simpson probably could tear it up. I'm sure you'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, you know, Rory could probably make this court look course look extremely short and overpower it. There's just going to be multiple different ways to go. It's kind of who's going to have all parts of their game clicking is what I'm projecting to be gambling on and making my laps with. 
I struggled immensely with what to do for this event for all the reasons that you mentioned. The Pete Dye and TPC narratives are always an interesting one. They handicap because of the rollover production they present from a statistical perspective. Yeah. Which we see with the track ranking inside the top 10 in terms of predictability when running it against all other courses that will be used in action this year. But as I said, this was a very challenging time narrowing down much from there. On the surface, the 6,841-yard measurement and smaller-than-average greens seemed like they would tell a story of short-game prowess and mid-iron play coming to the forefront of the discussion. And while some of that will be important when traversing through the data, it's the off-the-tee metrics that get the largest boost from a regular stop. The standard course on the PGA Tour sees 15.2% of the scoring dispersion take place from the opening tee shot, but TPC River Highlands, despite the condensed yardage total on the scorecard, ramps up the expectation to the tune of 18.2%. We do get that heightened mid-iron percentage with a 7.1% increase in approach shots that will take place between 125 to 175 yards. But this isn't your typical short layout that diminishes distance. And all of that is fine when trying to build a model, but things start to fall apart when we dive into the data from there. Yes, approach shots from the previously mentioned range will see an increase, but I can't say it's been overly predictive in finding success. A player like Brian Harmon has three top eight showings at this venue over his last four attempts, but we see him rank outside the top 100 in this field when combining the proximity stats from 125 to 175 yards. That, of course, is just one example, but the blueprint for positive results is almost impossible to narrow down. One player might do it from being long off the tee. Another will compete with accuracy. That's always been what has helped Harmon. Approach play can matter for some, but not for others. It almost makes me think that an elite skill set with either distance accuracy or mid-iron play is a must, but one of the three is enough of a prerequisite for consideration, even if you are lacking elsewhere. For that reason, I built my model in a very straightforward sense to try and take advantage of not only the predictability that this venue has provided, but also the underlying factors that we know are highly predictive from similar tests. We can always go in and look specifically at the other variables that I mentioned when trying to make decisions from there. But I started with 30% on weighted tee to green at short courses. I got rid of every venue that stretched over a certain distance and then reran the data to the tune of 46% approach, 30% off the tee, and 24% around the green. There are concerns with putting together the sheet in this fashion since it ignores some key proximity ranges. But as, as I said, I'm not convinced that the plurality of the information is overly helpful. Instead, I wanted to highlight the basic information when it came to the structure of the property. I placed 10% on weighted bent grass plus POA. That was a relatively even split between tee to green numbers and putting on similar greens. I did strokes gain on Pete Dye for 15%, strokes gain on TPC tracks for 10%, and strokes gained on short courses for 10%. I continued this mindset of trying to find venues that demanded unique traits. If the broad sense of the answer isn't working, maybe the reason for the rollover predictability comes because of the quirks of the setup. Weighted par four, 10%. There are 12 par fours in general. Two are under 400 yards. Eight are between 400 to 450. And an additional two that stretch from 450 to 500. I dove deeper into those examples and marginally added back in overall par four scoring from there. And then I closed it with weighted birdie or better for 15%. I looked at all birdie or better percentages from the courses under 7,200 yards. So that was run separately. Then I looked at birdie or better at Pete Dye tracks. That was run separately. And then I looked at TPC venues, combined all of those three things together to get the weighted birdie or better percentage for that 15% weight that I attached to it. And to be honest, this is a very basic model that is missing multiple variables, but in my opinion, simple is better than convoluted when the data isn't telling a perfect story. Top five of that model for me was Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Joaquin Neiman, Xander Shoffley, and Scotty Scheffler. When running it for upside, we do get some deviations of Justin Thomas and my boy Webb Simpson entering the mix. Cantlay also moves up to number one when I do that, but the one thing you will always get from my model, no matter how wonky I get with the metrics, is rather steady variations of the top names. It's one of the reasons I get very aggressive on outliers like Aaron Wise last week. But uh, that's the top of the board for me, man. Give me what you have. Yeah, so real quick, I was trying to go through, like, I guess what's what I'm, I think I'm going to value the most right now is success on PDI courses. So when you look at arguably the top four, course history horses in this field. I know that's always a phrase. Um, 
it, I, top four for me and expected strokes gain just from course history is going to be Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Brian Harmon, and then Jason Day. Would you agree that those four are similar in your model? Yeah. So in, in for, no particular order. Yeah. So for me, the top guys, and, and I should have in reality, giving given Tommy Fleetwood a little bit more of a negative because it's just taking one tournament and sometimes you're a little dangerous when you play that game. But yeah, for me it is Rory, Cantlay, Fleetwood, uh, Todd, Day, Harmon. Okay. So yeah, those four in there mentioned for you. So, and then you look on their stats. So Cantlay's number one on Pete Dye courses. Brian Harmon is actually what I want to say is strokes gained off the tee. My miles expected strokes gained off the tee for this event. Rory top two, Cantlay top 15, Harmon 29th, Jason Day 72nd. So it's like, okay, did I want, and this is what I was kind of going through last night. I was like, do I want to really weigh off the tee? Because I look at previous winners, they've gained a lot of strokes off the tee, but then I look at Jason Day's success. He's certainly not really doing it off the tee, but in terms of Pete Dye ranks for me, Cantlay's number one again, Harmon three, Jason Day four, Roy McIlroy six. So when I try to find like, what is the thing that brings them all together to show up so high in this course history. It is their success on Pete Dye. And it's not like there's just one or two Pete Dye courses. I believe there's seven, six or seven. We got PJ West, uh, River Highlands, Sawgrass, I believe, TPC, Louisiana, uh, Harbortown, Kiowa Island, and then um, TPC, San Antonio, obviously, the Valero, Texas. So these guys do play a lot of those courses. So I think that live on air is what I figured out is probably what I'm going to weight the highest. Obviously I want guys in good form. Cause again, going back to my point, I just want guys that are going to play two good rounds of golf and make the cut. What let the weekend unfold as it should, but course history on Pete die courses. I think that is the common denominator for guys that score in various different ways. Rory, again, the strokes gained off the tee is insane. Can't lay it's up there. Brian Harmon, not really. He's more just accurate. And then Jason day, it's definitely not from his off the tee game. So Common denominator seems to be success on Pete Dye courses, if you would agree. I think that's probably what I'm going to weight the highest when I rerun my numbers tonight. I 100% agree with that. And just to run through the, I mean, we'll keep it to, I guess, the top seven for me. But yeah, Cantley number one, Webb Simpson number two. This is specifically for strokes gain total on Pete Dye courses. Brian Harmon number three, Jason Day number four. Brooks Kepka number five, which I found very intriguing. I don't know what to do about Kepka. Is he allowed to play? I mean, as of this moment, yes, but I wouldn't put it past sure withdrawal. Like, probably so. I, I kind of am just taking the mindset right now for we can talk about it more in the outright sense of it that I am going to take some chances with him. But the second I see something different, uh, we can we can pivot elsewhere. Rory McIlroy six and Tommy Fleetwood seven. So for me, I'm just trying to find those similar examples of venues that these guys have found success on in the past. And like I, I kind of said it in the course breakdown. Anytime that you have these predictable courses, they always come down to a couple factors that come into play, whether that be because the course is short, maybe the course is long in a particular situation. Maybe the course is easy. Maybe the course is difficult. You know, Pete Dye and TPC tracks in particular are two venues that are very rollover um, centric in the sense that you kind of get the same names always popping at the, at the venues when they play them in. We see that with Webb Simpson over and over again. Like he finds success at the same courses more than anybody I've ever seen before. And I know that it's been a mixed bag here. He does have a missed cut within the last five years, but he also has a top 10 finish. So uh, that's kind of my mentality this week. I'm just going to try to narrow this down to if you're going to tell me that distance can find success, if you know accuracy can, if mid iron play can, it's never going to build a model that's perfect. So just find me the players that have found success on these venues in the past. And that's what I'm doing for my model. I love it. So to answer your question now, top five, it's it's all studs. It's Rory, Scotty, JT, Xander, and Patrick Cantley. And then in terms of safety, I did add that to my model this week. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Rory, Scheffler, Xander, Brendan Steele, damn it, and Joaquin Neiman. So I don't. No, I don't just don't know about this Brandon Steele character, especially if he's chalk. But yeah, that that's what I got. I like Brendan Steele kind of like the problem is with it is you run into these weird scenarios. So he's 19th overall for me. He's 18th for safety. There are some negative trajectory numbers for his upside. Just sounds gross playing Brendan Steele. Steele on courses. And, you know, it's kind of still difficult to figure out what this venue is, but 
any time that I believe he can use his driver as a weapon, whether that be, you know, at a venue like the Sony Open or, you know, maybe something like here, which we have seen success for him. He has three top 21 finishes over his last five attempts. He does have two missed cuts thrown into the mix. I think one of the things I would like to do that I have not done yet is I'm going to go back and look at those two missed cuts when we get off air. I'm going to see that if that was because he came in with bad form or if he was playing well and maybe, you know, he imploded even still with it. Cause if the form wasn't good, I'm more willing to forgive those missed cuts because 14% is going to be up there. But number one in my model and strokes gain off the tee over the last 24 rounds, he's fifth from a two year perspective. There are going to be red flags that come into play, but he's good on Pete Dye tracks. He's good at TPC courses. He kind of has all those safety metrics in play that you would hope for. Yeah, cash game. Lock him in in cash sure. games. But yeah, I will wait for your study on the form coming into his miscuts to let me know if I'm going to play or fade. I think just after Sanjay, I'm probably going to fade, but that's probably a bad mindset because again, it's a volatile sport. There's no real trends in my opinion. So every week's a new week, but yeah, Prince Steele, that just... Uh... Like, I don't want I'd be... rather have Siwoo. Siwoo's top 10 in PDI like courses. Siwoo. Like, give me him cheaper than Brennan Steele. Like, who's got more upsides? Siwoo. Who's got more downside? Probably Siwoo, but yeah. that's probably how I'm going to play. If the ownership goes to Brennan Steele, like it looks like the market is going to, and Siwoo's kind of a forgotten child, think that's where I'm going to go. You know, last week, for whatever this is worth, and I'm not, I don't want to be locked into this decision. There's a lot more of, information that's going to enter the market. But uh, for the record, I think my last text to you was to fade Sung Jay. It was indeed. Uh, I didn't. Listen. I am leaning towards Brendan Steele being good shock this week. Fuck. All right. Well, this we is can... easy. Bre- Davis Riley's 20% owned. So I'll just keep fading him. Cause I, I don't know. I just don't believe it. Well, let, let's talk about Davis Riley in a second, because I do want to get into a discussion with him very quickly, but uh, if you can for a second, I let's talk a little bit about the DFS board. Um, we can run through this however you would like. We can do good chalk, bad chalk. We can talk about the tiers a little bit. You can fire off some names if you want to add a couple more to the mix before we get into head-to-heads. Let's just do a, a tier and like who who's your guy in the tier if it's one or two because obviously you could probably fit two or three in every price range to make Perfect. a lineup, but... 10K and above. So Xander, Cantlay, Burns, JT, Rory, or Scotty? I like Patrick Cantlay. I know the ownership's going to be up there. I'm fine with that. And I do like Xander at 10,000. Those are my two guys. For everybody else, like I'm kind of okay with Rory. I think he's in good form right now. I'm going to be out on Sam Burns. I think there's okay leverage that can be created on Justin Thomas. But I like Cantlay and Xander as my two guys. Yeah, I think for me it's probably probably Rory and Xander. That's uh, fair. I, yeah, like Xander just looks he's so cheap. How is Xander on Pete Dye while we're here? It's pretty good if I remember correctly. No, 43rd. So I don't know, but he's great on TPC. So I don't I don't know if I'm gonna wait it too much for the superstars, but yeah, I, I just love Xander. I love Xander every week. There's no surprise there. <laughs> but um in the nine K range. Who's your favorite guy? I don't need to list them all, but I will go first. I'm quite high on Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah. I think I'm a full fade on Jordan Spieth. I just don't love his game right now. I know he's striking the ball well, but there's a lot more to Jordan Spieth when he was winning that I feel like the public kind of praise on is like, oh, if he's striking the ball, well, he's a great putter. He's putting like shit recently. So yeah, um, it's between Keegan Bradley and Tony Fino for my second favorite guy in that range i walking neiman will probably be a staple in my cash game lineup but i'm not sure if i'm gonna go all in there on uh for tournaments i just i think i prefer tommy fleetwood at way less ownership than i do but joaquin is really good on pete die so it'd probably be joaquin's my second favorite but in tournaments i think keegan or tony fino i think i'm i'm almost done with tony fino man he just i don't know he doesn't impress me Finau's a player that he, I, that one of two things needs to happen. He either needs to be in the low 8,000 or the high 7,000s, which I know he was last week, so that didn't work out. And that's probably least, never going to happen again now that, no. you know, unless it's a major or, you know, as these guys keep continue to go to the live tour and the fields are getting a little thinner each time, I think Finau's probably going to be a staple in the upper eight, lower 9K range for quite some time. 
Well, if let's say he gets into the upper $9,000 range or even creeps into the lower $10,000 range, the other way that I could find him into lineups is if he just becomes a really good pivot play for right. everybody else. Right. And we don't have that this week at 12 to 13%. Don't love the ownership. Like for GPPs, that's where I would be playing him if you are considering him. But I don't really trust him right now for cash games. I think my favorite play, at least my model's favorite play, it's very simple. There is... I guess there's two players right now for me that are positive leverage in every way I run them, but I agree with you on Joaquin Neiman. I'm more inclined to want to use him for cash games than I am for GPP contests. So uh, if I'm getting rid of him based off of that, Tommy Fleetwood would be the only player for me that is profitable in every sense of how I ran it. Love that. I do like Harold Varner for upside in GPPs. He's somebody that I can't seem to get off. And yeah, that's your boy this year, this summer, at least it seems to be a little bit in, uh, you know, you mentioned this a year ago and it's resonated with me and I've probably said it on this show a million times at this point, but he seems to find more success at these venues where he can club down. Yep. And I don't know what the reason is for that. I have never formulated an answer to why you are correct with that because you are, but it, it kind of continuously keeps happening. So 16th overall for me, that puts him as a pretty much break even value at $9,000, but Seventh overall for upside, I'm willing to take some chances if he's going to be sub 10%. And then I'm in my own world here. He's probably going to pull out of the tournament. I kind of like Brooks Kepka. He's the best leverage play I have on the board at sub 3%. It's going to be somebody that you're going to have to pay attention to because there is a likelihood that he pulls out of the tournament or isn't allowed to play. But I mean, wouldn't this be vintage Kepka? He goes and he wins his last PGA Tour event as like a fuck you to everybody. Yeah, and he's good on these type of courses too but yeah that i mean that would be definitely him i don't know if he's got the winning upside anymore he's he certainly looked pretty damn good this week just i don't know i i have a tough time reading him and he obviously doesn't play a whole lot so the data's not really there but i, I would never write off a guy like brooks kapka i think that'd be hilarious if that's the way he goes out because he is a boss but i don't know um moving on to the 8k range there's three guys for me I absolutely love, and for some reason, they are not garnering much ownership at all in this price range. Aaron Wise is in great form. We don't need to talk a whole lot about him. He's going to be popular. I think he's a really good play. Um, Brian Harmon obviously has a course history, the Pete Dye history we just talked about. He's going to be a great play. He's going to be popular. Probably a little too expensive for me because I just, I don't know, I really question the upside. So my guy is Keith Mitchell. Second guy is going to be Jason Day. Third guy is Christian Bezadenhout, one of the guys that graded out extremely well for me when I ran it as more of a target practice type of golf course. And then honorable mention, Webb Simpson. None of these guys right now are projected for over 10% ownership. Most of them are sub eight. And I will assume that <clears throat> the ownership is going to go to guys like Brendan Todd. It's definitely at Brendan Steele. So I think that's a fate for me. Maverick McNeely, how many times does this guy have to let the field down before they quit playing them? <laughs> so like the ownership right now is at, Maverick McNeely and Brendan Steele and Brendan Todd at the lower, I guess, no, that's 7K range. Damn it. So Bazadenhout doesn't count. So spoiler alert, that's going to be my guy in the 7K range. But Keith Mitchell, Jason Day, honorable mention, Webb Simpson in the 8K range. How about you? I mean, an honorable mention on Webb Simpson means he's winning this event in your mind, right? Yeah, it breaks my heart because, again, I'm looking at the post-it note that says Webb has no upside. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. He, he's got... It's it's hard to argue that he's a perfect fit for this course. I'll keep my answer very simple for this. There are three players that are showing as a value, no matter how I run it. Everybody else is actually negative in some sense for me. Now, I, I'm fine with the idea of like a Harmon or a Wise, but I tend to agree with you on Harmon. I think he's a better cash game play than anything else. Not sure I'm rushing to get him into GPPs. Like it's a lot of course history and and might be one of those tournaments where this is like what ends up burning me, but I don't have a problem. I don't want to talk anybody out of him, but the three players that are positive leverages, no matter how I want to look at it, Webb Simpson, 8,500, Mark Leishman, 8,400 and Jason day, 8,100. Those are my three guys in this range. So I know you're going to talk about Leishman in a little bit, but um, real quick thoughts on Denny McCarthy's price hike. I think for me, that's just an automatic. No, I'm not buying a stock at two X its actual value. Let's let's save that. Well, let, let me give an answer. And then I, I want to add to that answer a little bit. So no, I'm not buying the price hike for him, but I actually think that there is now a head to head or multiple head to heads that you can probably find in this market. If you shop around, 
Uh, one of them, I am waiting to hear your answer once I give it to you because uh, these are now two guys that we've talked about a lot on this show. But yeah, McCarthy's going to be a fade for me. I think anytime that you can get away from these guys to get these price hikes, whether that's from betting or from a DFS sense, you kind of want to avoid those plays. And that's exactly what my model believes with Davis Riley at this moment too. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on the fate of Davis Riley. I will let it continue to semi-burn me. But 7K range, I talked about my thoughts on Brendan Todd, Maverick McNeely, and Brendan Steele. I probably am not going to just play the the one-time winner. Of course, history of Harris English, his game does not seem to be right since the injury. So my guys are going to be Siwoo Kim. I think Cameron Tringali is going to be chalk now. Son of a bitch. I love Tringali. I think I talk about him any chance that I get. Um, so Siwoo Kim, uh, uh Bezayden, I absolutely love him at 7,800 and then down towards the bottom to give you some variance. I like Sepp Straka again, a ton at 7,100. I think he fits when I ran it for, you know, the bomber and semi short game and putting Sepp Straka was top 20 for me at 7,100 and probably won the 2% ownership. I like him at the low 7k range. I was close to getting there in Cameron Davis. Maybe you got some thoughts there. But for me, I think this is the area of the market that I'm going to trim a lot of fat on. I think I'm going to cut a ton of people. There's so many guys that are probably going to end up in the 10K, 10% owned range here. And really the only one that doesn't that I didn't mention that has a lot of upside, I think is Cameron Davis at 7,500. I like Cameron Davis. For me, it would probably be, you know, I'm going to keep looking into Brendan Steele. I'll, I'll find some of those answers that I'm trying to get there. I think I'm I just out. No matter what your answer is, I if he's 15%, I don't know. I'll wait for your answer because you were well, right last week and I don't want to be wrong twice and then have the I told you so type of thing. Well, I have a different way to play Brendan Steele regardless of the situation. So we can talk about that in a second. But I do like Siwoo Kim. I like Cameron Davis a lot. He's 11th for me when I run this for upside. Let's figure out where the ownership goes with him because if he's going to be between, I mean, what are you seeing right now on him? I see 8%. Two. Yeah, see, if, two, I, if he's eight percent, I'm not as inclined to want to play him. If he's two or three percent, I'm more willing to jump into the fray there. I like Jonathan Vegas because of his upside. If he's five or six percent, um, and I need to update some of these numbers, I could be off because my number for Tringali is only showing four percent right now. I do like Tringali as a four percent player. If he gets higher than that, I don't know what you had him at, Nick. Um, right now I'm seeing 11%. I, he's just getting steam all day. When I looked this morning, it was like seven and that's when I was like, okay, um, I made my single entry lineup for the week and he was in there. I think I'm probably just going to go to steps track and see Wu instead in my seven K range. But, um, one other for Vegas, I was, I was looking at him, but the putting in around the green just doesn't impress. Like I'd rather have the upside in Cameron Davis. I think Kevin Kisner, I, I don't like, I don't need to talk about him, but yeah, that's, um, thoughts on Sepp Stracker. Do you think I'm semi-honest? Like okay, because like he does have winning upside. We've seen it this year. 7,100 for a guy that can make this short course extremely short. And he's a good putter. So I think that's that's probably going to be my guy at the low sevens. I'm running through this right now. I'm pretty sure Straka is the best leverage play that I have when looking for upside in comparison to overall rank. So when I'm just shooting for guys and I'm getting rid of the floor and I'm just trying to figure out what their ceiling is down in like any of these $7,000 golfers really that make a jump, like he makes a huge jump. Uh, Ryan Palmer, I kind of sort of like, like that's going to be ultimate form of as chaotic as you can get if you want to play him. But um you know, he's probably going to miss the cut. He's 72nd for safety, but he's 19th when I run it from just an overall rank sense for upside on this. So, I mean, if you're going to play him, he's less than 1% right now. I don't think you need much. He hasn't been great at this course historically. The results have been a mixed bag, two missed cuts, two top 40s over his last four. But I mean, just somebody that I'm keeping in mind if I'm going to put him into like two or 3% of builds, I would not go massively overweight to him. I, I don't think he's a player. I don't think Ryan Palmer's ever a player that you can get yourself to be like 10 times the field on. I just don't think it's worth it. Like I would rather do that with Brooks Kepka if I'm going to take the super aggressive approach. Oh, for sure. And just pay uh, up for it. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, 6K range, I don't think I like anybody. <laughs> like yeah. Zach Johnson has a good course history. Cool. That's Zach Johnson. Um, 
Matt Wolf. I mean, I guess he's got upside, but he certainly has a ton of downside. I did like EVR, but he withdrew. I did too, of course. So, yeah, that was like the only guy I was on. I know I will never mention the name Matt Wallace to you ever, even though Matt Wallace was in that huge Masters uh, in November lineup for me. So he does have a place in my heart there. Um, but no, I don't think I like like Adam Svensson chalk at 6,800. You could have that. I I don't think I like anybody. Thoughts it's on Benson's terrible around the green and he can't make a putt. So I, if he just gets a little erratic off the tee, like I think he has a hard time scrambling to make par and it would not surprise. Like I would, I'd like to bet Adam Svensson to miss a cut if it's at plus money. I, I doubt it is if he's priced that low in the market, but I don't know. Let me throw two players out there. I, I don't know what markets I know. Markets. I could use two players. So I, I like, I don't want to make a player pool strictly of seven K and above like, so in Russell Knox, this kind of so like that's a guy I always love, but Russell Knox doesn't really get it done around the green and putting. So I'm trying to find like is Martin Laird safe? I, I need a guy. Give me give me two guys in the six K range that I could keep in my pool because right now I think I would just scratch all of them, and I don't think the optimizer would give me 150 lineups because I'm cutting a ton of the AK. Like I'm playing extremely, extremely uh, risky this week as as always, but this week I think even more because I'm really taking a stance on what my model pushed out. I think there's a couple. Let's start with two, and then I'll mention another one that's beneath that. So uh, what are your thoughts on Charlie Hoffman and Hank Lebiota? I always loved Hoffman as a golfer. Um, I know he was injured for quite some time, but he's starting to get back in the form. Didn't he do okay at the cut at the memorial? Did did he miss a cut on the number? So I... Let me let me double check that. I'll, I'll get you an answer on that. I can bring that up. He came 35th at the RBC Canadian Open. He missed the cut at the Memorial. We'll like if you look at that. his strokes gain data for 2020 and 2021 and do it to current, obviously he hasn't played many events this year, but like he's certainly not as bad as his numbers are showing this year. So if he's coming into form and health, I guess is more important. He's certainly a guy that has upside down there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I'm trying to bring this up right now. The other player just I, I'd like to get your thoughts on would be Tyler Duncan at 6,400. I My model always seems to like him a little bit. And my model always likes Tyler Duncan, too. I believe he's very good at this event, too, isn't he? He seemed to pop when I waited the course history. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't missed a cut in four straight years. So I think that's the only times he's played it, too, is the last four years. Yeah, I think uh, Hoffman... I, I just worry about... Duncan in decent to strong fields that this tournament seems to be. That's fair. Um, Hoffman missed the cut on the number at the Memorial. All right. So I like the reset. It's 6K if he finishes, you know, okay, the RBC Canadian, he finished tied for 35th. That'd be a massive payoff to his price tag this week if he could do that again. Look at all the boosts everybody's getting when it comes to course history. And we have a guy there that has four Tons, top yeah. 41s at this venue over the last five years. And we're not exactly getting that boost right now. So that's just something that stuck out to me. And I do like him more than Hank Lebiota because I don't really know what Lebiota's ceiling is for this event. I do know he has a fifth place last year. Form seems to be turning around a little bit. He has three made cuts over his last four, but and we're talking 28th miscut, 41st, 29th miscut before that. No, I mean, I, I think Hoffman's a guy for sure. I mean, he's, he makes birdies, and this is going to be relatively a birdie fest. So I think that's that's a good spot to go to. Well, let's move into some head-to-head plays. We can try to find some more value that way. I'll start us off. Everything that I'm going to mention is going to be on DraftKings. I do think there is some value on Sung JM minus 120 over Seamus Power and Xander Shoffley plus 100 over Sam Burns. As everyone knows by now, I don't recommend options with 10 or fewer points of value on the show. But both of those suggestions would be purely number grab scenarios where the likelihood of winning is only a few percentage points higher than the odds would suggest. The other matchup I will throw out there that my model doesn't love, but it is worth pointing out since it has moved 30 points. And this is between two guys that you have mentioned, Nick. But And this is 30 points at a lot of the sharper books. That would be Cameron Tringali minus 110 over Christian Bezadenhout. I've seen that as high as minus 140 something at some of these books. That isn't a wager that I am going to take, but... 30 points of value at a book I respect might be able to present an arbitrage situation if you can catch it before the number moves. None of the three will make my official card for tracking, but I do have two wagers I will give out on here that will be in my Vegas report article this week. The first is the same play that was my wager of the week at the U.S. Open, which is Aaron Wise minus 105 over Davis Riley. 
it's funny yes. because this will now be, I think, the third or the fourth time fading Riley over the past six events. He hasn't finished worse than 31st, and five of those results have ended inside the top 13. But we're still undefeated when taking him on in a matchup. Maybe I'm getting fortunate above all else, but I will continue to trust my numbers that are telling me that Riley is overpriced every single tournament. I can reassess the situation when one of these doesn't win, but he ranks 127th in my model in the recalculated T to green stat to highlight how a golfer should handle a shorter course. He's also inside inside the bottom 15 players in the field regarding strokes gain total on Pete Dye tracks outside the top 60 on TPC courses. You know, I'll point it out there. He does rank 19th in par for average, but slips to 115th in this field anytime he gets, you know, one of these longer par four holes. The mid-iron proximity from 125 to 150 yards is 90th. From 150 to 175, it's 101st. Like, I know it's a lot of numbers I just rattled off there, but we keep seeing this issue that suggests he's a better player when the tests get longer than these mid-iron enhanced strategical layouts like Die presents to the field. The wager will be a standard one-unit play, but I expect that price to move over the next few days. And then the final official bet I will give on here is Brendan Steele minus 115 over Denny McCarthy. That might be the way that you can get some exposure to Steele if you want to go that route. I feel like we talk about this spot every week, and even Nick just brought this up a second ago, but I always look to take on the player that is skyrocketing in value after a few high-end results in a row but has no course history or long-term metrics to suggest that the run is going to continue for much longer. It doesn't mean McCarthy can't find success, but it implies an increase in matchup difficulty won't be a positive for the long-term hit rate. I am always trying to find the opponents that can't sustain their form and are mispriced. McCarthy in particular has failed to post a top 45 result at this track during the last four years. And we're seeing the red flags in my model for how he typically performs on die layouts. 127th overall in weighted birdie or better is alarming. And the iron performances are never quite what you would hope to see from a modeling perspective. If the putter gets hot, all bets are going to be off here. But I am always willing to take my chances when the ball striking is providing question marks. Nick, do you have any thoughts on those two plays or anything that you wanted to add of your own? No, I think that's a, a good way to get. I love what you're saying about Denny McCarthy. I think I, he's just I don't like steel that much, but my model says he has a significant value in that matchup. So I think that's. If I go with the fade, that's probably the DFS fade that is. I will probably go there to that matchup uh, later this afternoon when I figure all that out. I'll add one more to the mix, and this isn't on the legal front. I've seen this at Offshore Books, but uh, Webb Simpson is less than minus 120 currently against McCarthy and head-to-heads. I really like that one if you can find it. I'm not going to give something that a lot of people can't get access to, but... Uh, it's a number that you can find on Pinnacle books that copy Pinnacle in particular. You might be able to find that somewhere like this is another offshore book, but a Bovada seems to copy Pinnacle in some spots. Maybe they release a number that's a little too shallow. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean, I'm really looking to take on McCarthy this week because of that price jump. Yeah, um, I think that I'm, I'm with that one for sure. All right, Nick, let's jump into the placement bets for the week. Do you want to start us off this time around? Yeah, um, Keith Mitchell, my boy in the AK range, top three. 40 on FanDuel is plus 130. My price is minus 115, 45 points of value in terms of my numbers. He is 14th in my miles expected strokes gain T to green. He is top 25 in this field in birdie or better percentage. 13th in my miles expected strokes gain putting on bent grass and POA. And two straight top 20 finishes, three straight top 35 finishes. Keith Mitchell is going to be my Daniel Berger this week, hopefully with a victory instead of a crushing round two, miss a cup by one stroke uh, type of debacle. But Keith Mitchell, Hammer can play the week. Well, I'm going to go off of, you know, Mitchell for me was somebody that my model registered as a fade. You know, Nick, you and I talked about this a little bit before the show started. There's a handful of players that fit that mold for me. Mitchell was one, McCarthy, uh, Riley, but I'm going to take less of a stance against Mitchell based off of that. Like I, if you like him, that's good enough for me. I, the form looks really good right now with what he's bringing to the tournament and the off the tee stuff. If we're saying like, if we're going to give Brendan Steele credit for the way that he hits the ball off the tee, Keith Mitchell is number two in this field over a two-year perspective in my model. He's 11th over his last 24 rounds. That has to count for something. So uh, I'll walk back my stance on Mitchell a little bit. I'm probably not as high on him as you are, but 
I don't have a problem with that wager. But the first one for me will be Webb Simpson, top 40, plus 100 on FanDuel, minus 110 on DraftKings. Simpson is the second best player in this field when we combine short courses, Pete Dye tracks, and TPC properties into one strokes gain metric. The only goal for that is better would be Patrick Cantlay. And we see the upside that Nick knows better than anyone else pop up time and time again. The accuracy is elite. The birdie or better at these specific courses has him inside the top 10. And the weighted tee to green at shorter venues helps to spring him up to eighth overall, 18 spots higher than his baseline projection. It goes without saying that Nick has secretly bet this himself, even if he doesn't want to admit it. But do you want to confirm to everyone listening that you love this wager as much as I do? I like this wager. And I'll leave it at that. No further comments. That's a win for me. <laughs> All right. Next up, Tommy Fleetwood minus 110 on FanDuel. Uh, my price is minus 115, minus 150, 40 points of value there. We talked about how he tears up Pete, Pete Dye Designs, top 15 in the field in birdie or better. Um, and he is top 20 in my miles expected strokes and T to green. So again, just a guy I think should have two good rounds of golf, make the cut. And he's certainly got the upside to finish top 40 or if not, higher so more of a price grab for me both my next two plays are kind of just price grabs but i do love fleetwood this week i like fleetwood a lot myself my next play will be mark leishman top 40 plus 105 fan duel minus 140 DraftKings. with tpc river highlands ranking inside the top 10 in terms of course predictability i feel like it makes sense to trust leishman who not only won this event in 2012 but has also provided seven top 39 finishes during his other nine chances at the venue We know that his biggest detriment tends to be his inaccuracy off the tee, but the general wide open feel of the property and strategic nature of the die layout allows him to club down without losing anything to the field. You know, I've mentioned numerous times how you either have to be long, accurate, or good with your irons. And the Aussie is inside the top 26 in this field in every 25 yard bucket ranging from hundred to 200 yards. And the fact that he also ranks inside the top 10 in putting only heightens that potential that he can take advantage of those two facets of his game. For another top 40, uh, any takeaways there on Leishman? No, I'm with it. I, I'm usually not a Leishman guy, but I think this is a pretty decent event for him. And the price in DFS is not bad. So I like it. I'm with it. Um, last play for me is Christian Bezadenhout, plus 135 on FanDuel to finish in the top 40 market. My price is minus 110. He's really the only shorter hitter that I had significant value on. Brian Harmon was close, but I... I don't even think I want to say his name on a podcast anymore. Yeah, so he just checked every single box for me in terms of safety. I believe he did show up 22nd in my model for safety, so I like the edge there. But this is just more of a number grab with the 45 points of value. 17th overall for me when it comes to safety, or I should say for safety, not overall. He's 19th overall for me. Um, The only thing I will point out there, and we see it with the Tringali play, I do know that there are offshore markets that are against him. I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment. I, I think Bezadenhout is exactly what you are looking for if you're making a top 40 bet. I really like the wager myself, but just wanted to point that out there that there, there's some influ- influential money that seems to be coming against them for whatever reason. Yeah, and Tringali of all people, the other guy that I love. So The, the, the reason why I'm willing to forgive it is because I like Tringali myself too. Yeah. Like that's like, fine. My, my, too- my main lineup has them both in it right now. Yeah. So, or we talked off air, it could go up to Jason Bay. So we'll get to that. But yeah, what's on the card? That's going to be it for me with those two plays right now. Like the other play I wanted to talk about on the air was Jason Day at plus 100. There it is. I knew it was coming. I really want to punch this ticket. If you give me clearance to do so, that'll probably be my third play. And it's the only time I can probably ever recall doing this, that I would have a two plus 100 wagers and a plus 105 wager. That's not how I want to strategically be building these cards. I think you're asking for problems when you're pushing things that strong in that direction, but I don't know. My model really likes all three of those players. No, I like Jason day. He's quite high for me. Like you said, there's different ways to get around this course and he doesn't have to do it off the tee. I think that he's one of the best players in the field. I still believe that. So I will trust the course history at even money for Jason day. Absolutely. All right, I will be adding that ticket then. So for me, it'll be Webb Simpson plus 100, Jason Day plus 100, and Mark Leachman plus 105. Getting pretty short in the placement market this week. I don't like that. Like, this is not how I want to... Like, for anybody listening, that's this is not how you strategically want to build, an, <laughs> uh, build a placement card. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. 
I took Fleetwood at minus 110 and ate the juice hamburger last week. I'm almost viewing it as a situation right now, which is never where you want to be. But let two of those three come in and let my model be right, hopefully, with the way it is. And if two of the three comes in, I'll I'll take my profit that way with it and kind of just move on. And I'll probably make these for a little bit less than I normally do. Like, I usually bet to win around a unit. These will probably be to win three-fourths of a unit. I'm not looking to go... I'm not looking to ramp up the investment and the exposure, I guess is the better way to say it. Like I can still bet these guys and just bet to win a lesser amount. And it's exactly what I'm doing with my outright card. If you want to move into that section right now. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I will rattle off all these players that I am on this week. I will start with Patrick Cantley, 16 to one. Cantley is the top ranked player on my model for upside. And he carries an average weight in the statistical category that places him as high as anyone I have seen this year. I didn't have him lower than eighth in seven categories that I ran. And he was either first, second, or third seven of those times. We know course history has been impressive for him at this venue with four consecutive top 15 finishes. And the form is starting to come around after producing back-to-back top 14 showings at the U.S. Open and the Memorial. Cantley will take about half of my exposure up that I am looking to invest into the outright market this week. But there isn't... Or like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, can you think of much negative other than, I mean, like, let's let's take away DraftKings for a second. Can you find much negative with Cantlay at the no, price? Nothing, nothing. I, I love him. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I am. I bet Webb Simpson at 80 to 1 on DraftKings. I will avoid getting into all the same information that we talked about during the top 40 portion. But I assume books are testing me at this point. It will be <laughs> detrimental to them if they didn't think I was going to come on better golf and you know, break all the books when I bet Webb Simpson and get everybody to do so also. But I like him a lot at this price. I bet Harold Varner at 65 to one on FanDuel. It's a double down of what I said last week of sportsbooks overinflating his odds because of his lack of perceived win equity. Nick mentioned it, as I said earlier in the show, how he prefers, how Varner is going to prefer these club down spots over some of these driver-friendly courses. I grabbed Mark Leishman at 66 to one. That is more in the 50 to 55 to one range now after Leishman took in some money. I'd say 55 is about as low as I would want to get there. I did see it at Win Sportsbook and Points Bet. If you want to shop around, maybe you can find an offshore market that it's still hanging at 66. I realize I'm going to be on my own island, but Brooks Kepka at 48 to one on FanDuel. There's going to be question marks if he even tees it off, but the high end numbers of my model love his fit for TPC River Highlands places him inside the top 10 in almost every way that I run the model this week. And then Siwoo Kim, 100 to 1 on DraftKings. All of those wagers other than Webb are to win between 7 to 7.26 units. And then the Web bet is going to be to win 8. As I said, I did lower some of my win amounts to make sure I could fit all six golfers into the card for less than a unit. Nick mentioned this when we started the show, I, I don't exactly remember the number. I think you said you haven't been more than like 1.24 units on your outrights yep. yeah, in a risk, while. Yeah. That's as much as I will get to. And that's including my in-tournament ads. So if I start stretching it past the unit, obviously I can't make as many in-tournament ads as I would like to make. So I try to keep the card open as much as I can. I kind of want to bet Jason Day at 80 to 1 because I have a sickness. Um I mean, I, I don't know who we're kidding at this point. I'm going to bet Jason Day at 80 to 1, but I don't know if I want to officially give it as a wager at this point or not. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Thoughts on Day at 80 to 1? No, I got it. That's one of mine now, so I'll take it from uh, here. Uh, Jason Day, 80 to 1 on DraftKings. I just, I mean, he. Well, let me see what proper is for me on mine. I had a ton of value there. I got my 49 to 1, so 80 to 1, I like that a lot. And I, well, I love that circus got 65 to one as you saw in my tweet, but yeah. So my outright tickets is Jason day, 80 to one Keith Mitchell, 70 to one. That is on FanDuel. Cameron Tringale, a hundred to one on Camby shops. And who else I have Xander was my short guy this week. So I had Cantley at 15 to one. So didn't find a ton of value in that ticket, but I had Xander Shoffley at 15 to one as well. So the 22 to one there wins for me. And the one I'm on the fence with, oh, I did get Tommy Fleetwood at 50 to 1. I don't know if I like that one anymore. I think I, I'm more of a top 10, top 20 for Tommy Fleetwood there. But thoughts on Jackie or Joaquin Neiman? Jackie, I always call him Jocko. Joaquin Neiman, 35 to 1 on DraftKings. I kind of hate it, but I do have perceived value on that ticket. So I haven't punched that one yet, but I am to the window with Xander, Fleetwood, Keith Mitchell, Jason Day, and Tringali. 
I had perceived value even at 30 to one, it would have been just a little bit of value there, but I tend to agree with you that I, I think there's better ways to play Neiman than the outright market. You know, I hate going against my model in these spots. You can't bet everybody. Like, we'll throw that out there. And with you going to Xander at the top and me going to Cantlay, it's kind of limited some of our exposure of what we can do in other spots. So, yeah, for what it's worth, my Xander ticket is 0.4 at risk. So, you know, literally exactly. one, one third of my outright card is on Xander Shoffley. So I had to get a little bit longer with everybody else. Yeah. And, and about half of my outright card is going to be on Patrick Cantlay. So you kind of <laughs> have to pick and choose your spots in these situations. So, Neiman's the unlucky loser of the mix, if you want to call him that, just to where I couldn't find an actual way to fit him onto my card with the way that I built it. I don't dislike him. I do think he has, he always has some upside in my model, but yeah, I mean, he's going to miss out for that reason, just because of like the structure of how I built it. That's fair. Um, And then there was somebody else I wanted to mention, but I guess that'll be it for me. Um, Anything else you want to talk about, Nick, before we let everyone get out of here? No, um, besides the fact that we did say this was going to be a a quick show and we (laughs) went over an hour. So I don't know. It was great content. I had a good time. It was a good show. I think we had a lot of good DFS information. And apparently at this point, I can't keep myself doing a show with you under an hour, no matter what I try to do. That's fine. Uh, Actually, one guy who did I like in the 6K range. I do like Lebiota. I don't hate Matthias Schwab in this spot at 0% ownership. Sure. I don't I mind want, that either. I just want to, I just want to say that I kind of, I kind of like, him. but yeah, no, uh, good luck to everybody this week. Thank you for all the support uh, week after week. We greatly appreciate that. And sorry about Daniel Berger to everybody that sucks. Um, but see, I probably could use a paralegal. So if things went as bad for you as it did for me last week, give him a call. He's a nice guy. Probably will uh, open the doors up for you at least virtually. I'm sure there's a work from home opportunity with see you. Well, thanks, Nick, once again for everything. You can find Nick at Sticks Picks. I am on Twitter at Tee Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. Good luck to everyone wagering money on the Travelers Championship, and we will see you guys back here next week.